take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 1, please. We have been looking at the minor prophets. And we have discovered that the headlines of the prophets are just as current as our daily newspapers. They recount peoples, God's people, who need to know God in a very special way and need to have him impact their lives. We looked at Hosea and discovered God's love for us and how necessary it is for you and me to recognize God's love and to know that his love never gives up. It never runs out on us. Amen? We looked at Joel, and we discovered that in God's love we can have great peace. And we can know that the peace that passes all understanding will keep our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in my life, we can experience peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, I give it to you, not as the world give it. Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then we move to Amos. Amos, who was a prophet to God's people in the midst of great prosperity. Are you in Amos chapter 1? Let me remind you of verse 1, please. The words of Amos, who was among shepherds in Tokah, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeremiah, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the great earthquake. Now, I, I remind you that Amos here is a business person. He's a shepherd. And it had been all of the kings and all of the nobles who had ruled Israel and who for years had ruled Israel. And Amos wants his people to know that it's real easy because of prosperity in your lives to find yourself away from God. And so he is telling the people, drain the swamp. Focus on what is most important. And recognize that as we walk with God, we then discover God's work in our lives. Now I want to just remind you very quickly a little bit of the history. It's found here in verse 1. Amos was written during 792 B.C. to 740 B.C. Uzziah was the king of Judah. Uzziah was a warrior and a builder. He was a great king. He was the one that Isaiah saw. As he died... The Lord high and lifted up and the glory of the Lord that filled the temple. That was during Uzziah, right after Uzziah's reign. Jeroboam was king of Israel. He was the longest reigning king in Israel. Reigned for 41 years. Well established in the land. He was one who went out and brought back a lot of the territory that others had taken. The people were living in great comfort as there was political stability, prosperity. But that led to idolatry and extravagance and corruption in the lives of the Israelites. Apostasy, social justice, hypocrisy were all part of what was happening in the midst of God's 
people. Now, there are two messages that Amos has for us in this little book. The first message is this. If you want to walk with God, you have to agree with God. It's found in chapter 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? We'll see that in just a moment. And the truth is, if we say we're going to walk with God, we have to agree with God. And if we're going with God, we have to go the direction that God goes. And so if you want to walk with God, you got to agree with God. And number two is this, that if we are going to live and discover real life, we must seek the Lord. If you want real life, you need to understand where it comes from. It doesn't come from the culture. It doesn't come from society. It doesn't come from comfort. It doesn't come from our politicians. It comes from the Lord. And so we have begun our study of Amos. And we have seen that Amos wants to drain the swamp. Now as you look at chapters 1 and 2, you discover that eight times you read this phrase, thus says the Lord. And it is a study in history. The first six times, God is speaking to the nations who are outside of Israel. And the message is this, if you mess with my people, you will be judged. And God keeps accurate accounts. The last two times are listed to God's people, one to Israel in the north and one to Judah in the south. And the message is this, God's people are not exempt from God's judgment If you violate who God is, then you can expect to be judged. You see, the problem back then is the same problem we have today. And that's that prosperity can breed forgetfulness of God and failure to seek God. And it happens so easy. You and I get comfortable and we sit back and say, God, thank you very much. I can take care of things myself. God, you've blessed me. Go help someone else. God, you've been good to me. Just leave me alone right now. You know that can become a swamp in your life and my life. And we must recognize that prosperity in and of itself can very easily take us away from God. As I was putting that wedding picture together, I noticed in the picture some people who are no longer with us. One was Connie's dad. Everybody called him Pap. And he was a great guy. Pap didn't have a lot growing up. His folks had a little farm out in South Webster. Pap loved to just go and walk the hills of southern Ohio and just kind of be out by himself. In fact, if you ever took a ride in his truck, you could last for months. He knew the shelf life of Twinkies. 
And for our kids who only got to see Papa every once in a while, it didn't matter what the expiration date was on those Twinkies. It was great to go out with Papa. Papa's parents died. He had an opportunity to buy the farm. He passed on that opportunity for this reason. He was a railroader, working very hard Monday through Friday. And he knew that if he bought that farm, that that farm would take him away on Saturday and Sunday from the things that were really important. A blessing, perhaps. But he recognized the danger. And so Amos tells us, be careful. You might find yourself in a swamp. It's easy to break a good habit. It's easy to have all kinds of excuses. It's easy to get away from God. Even in the midst of blessing. It's easy to forget about God. And then Amos says, walk with God. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And if you're going to walk with God, you've got to agree with God. Now, we looked at Amos 3.3 together, and we kind of memorized it, didn't we? Let's read the verse. We'll start with the reference, and then we'll follow with the verse, and we'll finish with the reference, all right? Here we go. Amos 3.3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Amos 3.3. That's a great question, isn't it? Now, I can't tell you that Connie and I have agreed on everything in 45 years. But I did know when we didn't agree, she was right. I didn't need that amen, Teresa. (laughs) Let me tell you something. When you and God don't agree, God's right. That I'll take, Vern. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is nope. If you want to walk with God, you've got to agree with God. Which brings us now to Amos chapter 4. Turn there, please. Amos chapter 4. Because God starts to address the sins of the people, and we're not going to have time to, to really get into this this morning, but I want to share you what God is looking at. And then we are going to see five visions that Amos has and how God puts all that together. And then we are going to recognize that in the midst of that, we see God's mercy and we discover that God keeps his promises. He begins to address the sins of God's people. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, ye cows of Basham, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, and behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the beaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into the harmon. Now, stop right there. Cows of Basham, that kind of confuses us because we don't understand that. Basham was a place that was very lush, extravagant, where cows themselves could be well-fed and strong and thriving. 
And so what he is doing is he is addressing those who have been blessed in a very special way. Basham was east of the Jordan River, a prosperous place. He addresses the mountain dwellers, the nobles who were up on the hill, the nobles who who lived in the retreats, the the nobles who, who had it all and were loving it. And he addresses these sins of the people. And he says, in the midst of your luxury, you're starving the poor. You don't care about the little guy. You don't care about the disenfranchised. You don't care about the one who is just scraping by and just trying to make it. Seven times in Amos, Amos addresses the poor. And he says, you've trampled on the poor. Remember what Jesus said? If you'll give a cup of cold water to my name, make a difference in somebody's life if you'll reach down and put your arms around somebody you'll show my love if you understand that God has blessed you so that you might bless others it'll make a difference for me So as he addressed the sins of the people, he starts out by saying, you're starving the poor. We mentioned this morning that uh, Operation Christmas Child had a great garage sale. You know why we do that? We do that so that we can take little shoeboxes and we can pack them full of stuff. In many cases, things that children have never had before in their lives a small packet of crayons a little toy a pad of paper a coloring book now you and i can go to the dollar tree and get all that stuff doesn't hardly cost us a thing but it's a ministry to children who don't have that And why do we do it? So they can scribble colors on a page? No, we do it so that they can know Jesus' love. Why do we do it? So that they can have a a toy to take to bed with them and to cuddle? No, we do it so that they understand that God loves them. And he'll never leave them nor forsake them. We do it to invest in their lives. And frankly, it doesn't cost us much at all. God has blessed all of us. So many times we starve the poor. But not only does he address starving the poor, he also instructs the people to return to him. I want you to notice something here in chapter 4. Look with me at the last part of verse 6. Yet you did not return to me. Look at me at the last part of verse 8. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The last part of verse 9, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The last part of verse 10, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. The last part of verse 11, 
yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. You see what happened? Because of their prosperity, they forsook God and did not understand that he was the source of everything that they had. And God says, come back. I don't know why you left me. Come back. Aren't you thankful that God always says come back? Aren't you thankful that no matter where we find ourselves, we can find our way home? We, we couldn't wait for our kids to come back home. Now, the reality is our kids never experienced where we live now as their home. But you know why it's their home? Because Connie and I are there. And they came home. It was so good to have them. They surprised us Friday night with a, with a few anniversary gifts. Connie and I cried. I'm getting soft in my old age. God says, come back. Come back. And yet, the prophet says, they did not return What does it take for God to get your attention, for you to come back to him? Hmm? What does it take for God to work in your life so that you'll walk with him and talk with him and let him tell you that you're his own? And I love the next phrase of that song and the joy we share. As we tarry there, none other. It doesn't get any better than walking with God. And God instructs us to return to Him. God also reminds them that the nobles were at ease. Chapter 6. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. The notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Jump over to verse 4. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp. And like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Part of the sins was that the nobles had it all together. And they were in their ivory palaces saying, oh, we're awful good to the people. Look what we've done for them. Does that remind you of anything today? The nobles who drank their wine, had their parties, sung their songs. Look at us. I think it interesting that the nobles are warned. Did you see it in verse 1 of chapter 6? Woe to those. 
Did you see it in verse 4 of chapter 6? Woe to those. Look out. And this isn't like pulling a horse and saying, whoa, stop. This is a meeting out of judgment on those who thought themselves better than anybody else. You could go to Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew chapter 23, you would find that seven times the scribes and the Pharisees who are called hypocrites are given judgment by Jesus. And he says, woe to you. One of the things he says is, you clean up the outside real good, but inside you got nothing. Like a crypt of dead men's bones. And then the prophet tells us, I need for you to see what God sees. And in the midst of that, there are five visions that Amos has. Now, we're not going to have an opportunity to look through all of these. But let me just give them to you very quickly. Chapter 7. Verse 1 says, This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts. A plague of locusts. And a plague of locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. Now let me, let me tell you what's going on here. There were two times of harvest in Israel. The first time of harvest went to the king. Kind of a first fruits kind of thing. And the king got it all. That's what subsidized his lifestyle. And the second harvest went to the people. It's what they lived off of. And God says, I'm going to send a plague of locusts, and they're going to attack the second harvest. The king's got theirs. But the people are going to be left desolate. And I think it interesting here, But the prophet says, oh, Lord, don't let that happen. Oh, Lord, please forgive us. Oh, Lord, spare us by your mercy. Not only does he see a locust plague, he also sees a great fire. Verse 4, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for judgment by fire, and it devoured a great deep and eating up the land. A great, great drought was going to take place. Oh, Lord, please no. Verse 7. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? He said, I, I see a plumb line. Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never pass by them in the high places of Isaacs. They shall be made desolate. Now, you know what a plumb line is, right? Builders use them. And they are a string with a weight at the bottom. And if you hold the string with a weight at the bottom, it always is perpendicular. 
if any of you have ever invited Pastor Spencer to come to your home, you know he has a habit. He straightens crooked pictures on your wall. Now, he has this built-in plumb line. He does it in the office, too. I hope that was all right. That just, that just came to mind. That wasn't planned. God holds up a plumb line. And you know the plumb line is his word? And he says, how do you match up? Look at the plumb line. See how it hangs straight and true. If my boys were here, J.C. and Jonas, they could stand and quote for you 2 Timothy 2.15. They're in Awana. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Awana, A-W-A-N-A. A workman needs not be ashamed. Why? Because he plumb lines the word of truth. He rightly divides it. It is held straight. He also shows them summer fruit. Chapter 8. This is what the Lord showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. Connie and I both like fruit. Connie more than I. But you know when you have ripe fruit and you leave it on the counter, it doesn't last long. Not because you've eaten it, but because it doesn't last long. If it's really ripe. Connie likes to buy her bananas green. I think she thinks that uh, she can keep them out longer if she does that. But you see? Basket of summer fruit. And if you look into verse 2, it says, the end has come upon my people. It's right here. Look out. One more vision, and it's found in chapter 9. Verse 1, and I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. And he said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left, I will kill with a sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. The altar, the destruction of the temple was coming. In Judah, it was in Jerusalem. In Israel, it was in Bethel. Bethel is mentioned six times in the book of Amos. Bethel was the house of God where Abraham built an altar to the Lord, where Jacob slept on a, to- a stone and had a vision from God. Bethel. House of God. I think it interesting here as you look at the altar, what Amos saw, he saw the omnipotence of God, not even the, the temple would stand before God. He saw the omnipresence of God. Verse 2, if they dig in Sheol... From there shall my hand take them. 
If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. If they hide from, from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. If they go into captivity, God is everywhere all the time and there is no place that they could escape, no place you and I can escape. Now, that's good news and bad news. The bad news is, God knows exactly where we are all the time, so we'd better behave ourselves. The good news is, he never leaves us nor forsakes us, amen? And I am thankful for the good news. And if I behave myself, I'm more thankful for the good news. I always thought my mom, as my kids thought Connie, had eyes in the back of her head. You always knew, didn't you, babe? Pretty much, huh? And Jill and Jen, Josh can attribute that. God's always there. And then we see his omniscience. He knows it all. Verse 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy them from the surface of the ground. He knows all about it. Now, That's a lot of bad news, right? Let me give you some good news. The good news is this. In the midst of all of this, there's the mercy of God. You still with me in Amos? Look with me at verse 11. Chapter 9, verse 11. In that day I will rise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild Rebuild it as of the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does it. I'm going to bring David back. David, the great king. David, the one who provided all the materials so Solomon could build the temple. And the temple's going to get destroyed. But that's not the end of the story. David's going to rule again. David's going to reign again. David's going to be on the throne again. This is good news. And it's not because David deserved it. It's because of God's mercy. Do you remember what we read when we began the service? It's because the Lord's mercies were not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. When you find yourself in the swamp, look for God's mercy. When you find yourself knee-deep and struggling, look for God's mercy, because it's there. I'll raise up David. Talks about his booths, just a tent, just a hut. But God intends to to restore the splendor of David and all that's, that's going on. In that day, at the right time, it's going to happen. And not only is he going to show us his mercy, he's going to fulfill his promise. Verse 14 of chapter 9. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel 
And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in the land. And they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord God. See what God's going to do? God's going to restore the fortunes of Israel. Verse 15, God's going to replant them in the land. May 14th, that date mean anything to you? 1948, Israel, back in the land. 70 years ago, God was going to establish his people, fortune, and give them the land. And how would the people respond? They're going to rebuild the cities. They're going to plant the vineyards. They're going to make the gardens. <laughs> They're going to rebuild. They're going to replant. They're going to return. God's people are going to understand his blessing in their lives. Oh, what a great God we And God wants to work his work in a very special way. A couple of things I want you to understand this morning. God knows how to get you out of the swamp. Some of you found yourself in the swamp. Some of you are there now. And sometimes it's not because you've chosen to get you. You just find yourself there. God knows how to get you out of the swamp. And if you want to get out of the swamp, you better walk with God. Because the Lord knows the way through the wilderness. As the chorus goes, all I got to do is follow. Strength for today is mine all way, and all that I need for tomorrow, the Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I got to do is walk with God, but I better be agreeing with God.